0: Previously on the Tony Kornheiser show.
1: I want to be able to like devote the rest of the summer to sort of fitness and golf. And yeah. you know, You're from s- now until we go back on the air with the NBA in the first of November, I want to be able to do that. You're skinny. I'm smaller than I've been since I started the Orioles beat, which was 1984.
2: It's a ways back. So <laughs> ways Get
1: a lot of crab cakes in that press box.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> This is General George Washington, and you're listening to The Tony Cornhouse. Show.
2: Just on that note, Baltimore had just about the best press box food. I don't know if they still do. It's been a while. Baltimore had the best press box food of any place in the country. Second best was Kansas City. They always took care of writers. Small American League towns, and they took care of writers. Best was, it, food. was it Randy Galloway? That brought in beer for all the writers down in Texas? Wasn't some famous it story with that? Been. I mean, Randy, Randy worked for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram for a long time and the Dallas Morning News as well. <coughs> Randy was close with George W. Bush when that's, he owned the Rangers. That's right. They were good pals. Yeah. They were opposite end of, of the country on politics, but they were good pals. I always liked George W. Bush because of everything Randy said. Right. I always felt he'd be a wonderful guy to get to know. And I met him one time, and I liked him very, very much, just one time. Let me send out um, best wishes to Susan Heck. This was an email that I got in February, and, of course, I misplaced it. And let me also talk about Ed Butt, our famous friend Ed Butt, who sent me a shirt, a shirt I can't wear. Because my name is on the shirt. I mean, I just, I cannot wear it. (laughs) Apparently, there was a golf tournament, Littles Golf Tournament, and I sponsored a team. I didn't realize this. And it's a beautiful... Orange. I mean, the, I, I, would striking wear, orange. I would wear the yeah. shirt if I could.
3: Yeah, camouflage. But on the <laughs>
2: chest it says, sponsored by Tony
3: Kornheiser, straight cash homie. So I cannot wear this shirt. <laughs> Michael, can you wear this shirt? Uh, I think it's pretty accurate. I am sponsored by Tony Kornheiser, so yes. <laughs> so,
2: yeah, and this goes to Michael. And our great thanks to Ed Butt for the shirt. I thought it was um, a different shirt in that box. So
3: I had nothing to do
2: yesterday, really, after I played golf. I played golf At Columbia, I played with Courtney Fremming, and I played with Colleen Williams. Colleen, let me just say this out loud. We played from the same tees. I mean, the deal that I made with them was, I'll play from the gold tees unless the red tees are further away from the green, which happens a lot. um, Because the women's par at Columbia is 74. So they got a lot of par fives. So I'll play from the reds with you. Unless the gold is further back, then I'll play gold. And the Reds, on a lot of the holes, as you know, I mean, I don't want to go through this time by 10, but 10 and 11 and 12. The Reds are much further back, you know, if than You get to 10, 11, 12. Why don't we
3: go to 13, 14, 15? You know, so,
2: so Colleen out hit me 75% of the time. She outdrove me 75% of the time. Colleen's a good player. I, was, I played very well to the last three holes where I was a total of 10 over par. Oof. Ten over on the last three. I lost it. I utterly lost it. Couldn't hit anything. Vandeveld. Yeah, it was terrible, you know. But, but Colleen, I, I'm, she's really a good player. So I wanted to say that. And very funny. And I said to her, you must have been the funniest girl in your high school. <laughs> and she said, I don't know about that. And I said, no, you must have been. You must have been the funniest girl in your head. Where'd you go? Went to visitation. I said, eh, nobody's funny at visitation. I'm sure you were the funniest girl. <laughs> You know, I really like her, so we had a good time. Can I ask how you did in the in the sand? I'd still be in the sand if I didn't <laughs> throw the ball out. Okay, Michael, tell were you were you blading it in the sand? Yes, okay. blading it. I was hitting it right into
3: the face, the grass face of the bunker. I didn't even get halfway up. What's so great is this morning I asked. her, I was like, so let's let's go over your grip. How would you describe your grip on a one to ten? And you go very firm, very firm. <laughs> I don't. So I gotta get Michael to take me out there. Because if
2: I can conquer my sand fear, sure. If I can I don't have to get close to the hole. If I can just get out of the sand comfortably, I'll be a good player at my level. I'll be very happy to, right. to play on that level. And I love playing with them yesterday. Uh, the Nats lose again. They're now one and twelve against Miami. And they lose again in what I would say is the most infuriating, and yet it's also very supportive of my opinions. Tanner Rainey gave up a two-run home run in the 10th, 9th
3: 10th. This was the 10th. They got <laughs> a Textras.
2: Two-run home, two home run. Two outs. Tanner Rainey always gets the two outs, always yeah. gets the two strikes, then gets cute. What happened? I didn't see All it. All right, so you,
3: you have your runner on second, pass ball, runner on third. You go, okay, this is, he's going to score easily. We concede that run. And then he starts bringing the high heat, and you go, oh, play into your strains. That's what Throw he does. Throw the ball as hard as you can, swing and miss, swing and miss. He gets two strikeouts, and then he gets a little cute. Uh, he tries to bring the high heat to De La Cruz, brush him back a little bit. All right, this game, we're going we're to go to the bottom of the 10th. And then the next pitch De La Cruz hits a home run that goes, I'd say, 85% up the left field foul pole and looks like it's going to hit your name on the <laughs> wall of fame. It is that <laughs> high up into the atmosphere. <laughs> this is the second day in a row they bring in Tanner Rainey to
2: close a game and he fails with a home run. He fails with a home run, gets two outs, fails with a home run. Someone has to sit him down and say, son... You're not mentally suited for this particular job. Yeah. Because you're giving up home runs with two outs. We need you to understand what we'd like you to do, and that is you have 99-mile-an-hour speed. Throw it over the plate at 99. If they hit it then, we'll figure out what to do with you.
3: Ground ball. Ground you know,
2: ball. But throw 99 over the plate.
3: Yeah, don't nibble.
2: Not when you get to one and two. Don't go inside out. Just throw it over the plate. Because we're betting they can't hit it. Because you got ninety nine mile an hour speed. I hate him.
3: What do you guys think of the Fourth of July hats? I didn't particularly like them. Like the splash paint? Yeah. Did you?
2: I did not like them. Very nineties. Yeah, yeah. they did nothing for me. Like Can that. you explain what I was watching on the Golf Channel last night? The
3: JP McManus Pro Am in Ireland. I have no clue what it is. I've never heard of did it. Did you Appar- see who was playing? Apparently, it is. It is. Uh, it has made over one hundred forty five million dollars for charity uh, over the last couple iterations. If you look at the field, it looks like the seminal member pro, except with, I don't know, as many fans as you might see at St. Andrews in two weeks. Wow. Tiger Woods, Rory
2: McIlroy, Scotty Thomas, Scheffler, Justin Speed. Thomas, Xander schauffele they're all
3: playing in this thing. Shane Lowry, they're all playing in the, It's a pro-am. On it's a, a two-day pro-am. On a course that is the Green, gorgeous, the greenest looking grass I've ever seen. A Adari a manor has the right. I've never of heard in, in of it. Five yeah. years, I think. Wow, it's gorgeous. Tiger playing in a buggy like he's playing with the legends at Columbia. Yeah,
2: yeah. And they also they have um, they have a woman on sixteen, which I guess is a par three, interviewing people. She's great. I mean, they go. It, it goes on. Uh, it's. Everybody's so happy to be there. Patrick Cantlay, who has the personality of a melon, <laughs> Patrick Cantlay
3: is is happy to be there and talking. You know, right? Yeah, it's amazing. It's, you can't stop wow. but think about the future of what golf. Tournaments can or should look like, and to just see the joy on these players' faces. Now, I know a lot of them are just there because they're getting ready to play in the in the British in Open. the Scottish Open next week, and then the British. So they're they're in good spirits. And Justin Thomas and uh, and Spieth and Ricky are coming off of like a best buddies trip to to Ireland's courses and drinking Guinness <laughs> on, in the ferries with fans. <laughs> That's phenomenal.
2: It was really something to watch. I think it's on again tonight. Um, it's taped, obviously. But uh, by the way. Tiger, you, wearing a lot I, of legs. I guess we should ask Mark Feinstein this because he's on the show later. Not every team played yesterday. Yeah, this July Fourth, Yankees not playing. I thought every team played on July Fourth. Yeah, I was that sort of amazed by that's that. That's
3: My memory is that in the past they've everybody is.
2: I just assume we're not on the air because every team is playing baseball and ESPN is cutting in and out of every single game.
3: But yeah, yeah, the, I know for sure the Yankees didn't play, and I'm sure obviously that means at least one other team
2: didn't. Had to be one other, didn't it? Yeah. Um, I just want to uh, note the passing of my friend Hank Goldberg, who died yesterday at the age of 82 on the very day he was born, 82 years ago. I think Thomas Jefferson did that, too. I think Thomas Jefferson was born and died on the same day. You look that up. I think. I think I'm right about that. Hank Goldberg was a friend. Um, He was... Before Miami was a big deal in sports, when Miami just had the Dolphins, which were themselves an expansion team, Miami's not an original team in any league. Um, before they were a big deal, Hank was down there. Hank's dad was, I believe, the sports editor of the Jersey Journal um, in Newark, New Jersey. And uh, Am I right on Thomas Jefferson? Uh, no. Oh. He was born April 13th, uh, died July 4th. Oh, he died July 4th. Yes. Okay, well, okay. Well, Hank died and was born and died on July 4th. Um, Hank's dad was a sports editor in New Jersey, and Hank left the Northeast and went down to Florida probably 50 years ago, maybe more even. The Dolphins were around, but as I said, there was no hockey, there was no basketball, there was no baseball. There shouldn't be any baseball. Nobody goes to their games. Plus, they beat the Nats all the time. Hank was on radio and television down there, and he was, you know, he was a tout and a rock on tour. I mean... At the time that Hank got to South Florida, South Florida had the Dolphins, and they were a great franchise, and they had spring training. That's all they had. This before Arizona spring training was anything at all. And so they had a month of spring training. People came down from the north, way north, even Canada, and they spent time in South Florida. They watched baseball, and they cleared out. By April, they cleared out. Hank had the two things that were most important at that time. He had a standing table at Joe's Stone Crab, and he had Don Shula's ear. That's all you needed. You could be a big star. And Hank was a big star on radio and television, and later did it on a national audience for ESPN, where he would pick horse racing, and he would pick football. There's the two things that people bet on. You know, you can, you can talk about betting all you want. You can talk about betting on p- a pitch in a baseball game, betting on a play in a basketball game, betting on a goal. You know, you can talk about all of that for you stone-cold gamblers who sit there and watch a game and bet on your phones. But there's only two sports where betting has mattered forever and ever. I'm sorry, there's three. There's boxing, and Hank knew boxing, because everybody knew boxing. And there's horse racing, and that was important because there's Gulfstream Park and other tracks in Florida like Hialeah, and there's football, and everybody bets on football. More, more money is probably wagered on football even than horse racing is my guess because everybody bets on—I'm I'm probably wrong about that because there's so many horse races all over the country. But if there's a big horse race and there's a big football game, it's not close. More money is bet on football games. More money is bet on the Super Bowl than any other sporting event. And that was Hank's life. Uh, He got ill within the last four or five years. And he left Florida and he went to Las Vegas and he had kidney problems. And and this was not unexpected that Hank would pass. But um, Hank was a pal. Remember, Michael, he took us to play golf. He took us to Inverary. He lived at one point in Inverary. Hank had the greatest radio deal in the world. Every eight months, he got a new infinity.
3: <laughs> that's
4: pretty He nice. never
2: drove a car with more than 5,000 miles on it. <laughs> it it's just never happened.
4: That's a good deal.
2: And I felt he was a very generous man, and I liked Hank very much, and I wanted to say that. And later in the show, we will have Chuck Culpepper, who doesn't know Hank Goldberg, and Mark Feinstein, who doesn't know Hank Goldberg. So that's how we'll end this segment. I'm Tony Cornhus.
3: Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network This is
2: sent to us by our friend Ronnie Newmeyer, Who writes, I'm producing a show this Saturday, July 9th At the Birchmere in Alexandria called Laurel Canyon It's the music of Buffalo Springfield, The Birds, Joni Mitchell, Jackson Brown The Beach Boys, Linda Ronstadt, The Monkees, etc. And it features 20 D.C.-based performers Among them are Sarah Curtin, whose music you've played before And Maureen Andery, her partner in the folk pop group The Sweater Set Your lifelong friends and collaborators, winners of the 2021 Whammy Award for Best Folk Group. This song is called Hostage. It's from their latest album, Fly on the Wall. It was recorded live in front of an audience at Tonal Park Recording Studio in Tacoma Park, Maryland. Again, that's this Saturday night at the Birchmere. Laurel Canyon is the show. And these are Sarah Curtin and Maureen Andery. And this is called Hostage. And it plays in Chuck Culpepper. Who is hopefully not a hostage and is in England. And I got I got Wimbledon questions. I do, but but before we go, and, and the essence of the questions are is, you know, who's left and who should we pay attention to? See, he underwater. He's he's outside underwater. Here's the biggest question I got. Kyrgios, is he a jerk or is he not a jerk? I think he's a jerk. He's also a very talented player but I can't stand him. To me, he's like the Kyrie Irving of tennis. Am I wrong? And tell me if I'm wrong.
5: I think he has some fine qualities, but probably the jerkdom outweighs those to some degree. Um, he, or to some big degree, sometimes he yeah. uh, often, you know, the way he thinks the match is about him, in other words, the, in the, the now famous match Saturday night, uh, where he's just, yammering the whole time, you know, and, and did, trying to distract the other player with that. He he uses some tactics sometimes that are uh, maybe if we wanted to be, uh, what, judicious about it, we would say probably the sport is better off without. Um, Saturday night against potts he just, you know, he won that match. He played fantastic tennis. It was a riveting fourth set tiebreaker. But, you know, just... You go to the chair umpire, you make your case, you're not going to win, you didn't win. It's a rational case, but you didn't win. So stop there, you know, and you just let it lead all over the match. Uh, he was not 100% at fault in, as to the circus of that match. He was 50. They each, they each made the circus. But yeah, I think um, I, I would hope to see some of the stuff that people seem to love to see. I would hope to see some of it go away. I have to tell
2: you this about, about this guy. And with Tsitsipas, another one I don't like, a guy who just walks off the court for 30 minutes at a time to go to the bathroom and see his coach. I can't stand him, and I root against, I root against both of them. They are, to me, Chuck, like Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Get out of my courtroom. Get off my tennis court. Get out. I, I just I don't want to see you anymore. Am I harsh? Am I too harsh on this?
5: I, I would say you're harsh, except that, I feel the same way when I go to these events, sometimes more about period. I just sometimes feel like, uh, you know, there's a lot of noise and the quotient of noise over merit is pretty high. Look at Connors and McEnroe. There was a lot of noise there too, but they won slams. So a lot of them, I think 15 between them. So this, this guy with no slam quarterfinal in seven years until now and, it just seemed like he was a distraction and a sideshow, and to some degree, a freak show to some people at the, at these tournaments. And if you like tennis, as, as I do and appreciate it and respect it, it didn't seem to have all that much to do with tennis, except for these, you know, this brilliance that he has that comes in these abbreviated patches.
2: That all fair, all fair. All right. The overarching question is: Where are we now with the men and the women? Um, who, do, who, when you look at the, who's left in the draw, what is surprising? What is not surprising?
5: I would say I'm not surprised by anybody because of the little break they all got in the draw. Like with the men, Berrettini would have been one of the, you know, probably the co-favorite with Djokovic to win the tournament. He was the finalist last year. He won the first set. He made Djokovic really have to figure it out. And of course, he got COVID and couldn't play. This he was a real threat to everyone. Having him out means that a player, an excellent player, ranked number 43, like Christian Garin of Chile, could uh, you know he could appear in the quarterfinal. Uh, that was his first-round draw. So, and he was really upset when he got that first-round draw. So, there's a lot of cases like that with the Russian players out, the Belarusian players out, Belarusian players out. It's it you know the, it took out. Two male top 10 players, one female top 10 player, like four male top 20 players and four female top 20 players. It took out a lot of people you could have run into that might have ruined your Wimbledon. But, you know, but maybe now you're still there and it was still really hard to do and it's still worthy of respect, but a little bit easier.
2: Yeah, I mean, you get to the second week of a major Get to the second week, it becomes a tennis tournament. Less an event and more a tennis tournament because you've pared it down. I watched... I I mean, I don't know how you feel about this. The Serena Williams-Harmony-Tan match was totally compelling to me. Totally. And I don't know that there's... It's certainly possible, if Nadal and Djokovic meet, it's certainly possible that will rise above that particular match. But that day, Chuck, when Nadal... Um, you know, won his match when it looked like in the fourth set he might be on his way out in five, and then Serena came out there and she lost. I thought, well, that's it for Wimbledon for me. Do you have any sense that people felt similarly?
5: No, I don't think so. I I do think that Serena-Williams-Harmony-Tan match, you'd have to say, is one of the best of the tournament. Maybe not the highest quality, you know, But but a very high quality, anyway, and I think was one of the. It was just you never knew which way it was going to go, and every time you made an assumption, it defied that assumption. I'm sorry about that. And every time you you thought about, you know, you knew which way it was going to go, it went the other way. And so I, I think it's one of the top matches here. I think that if, um, you know, if we get a semifinal between Nadal and Kyrgios, that's going to possibly become the, at least in the run up what people are anticipating the most.
2: By the way, I keep assuming Nadal cannot win and Djokovic can't lose. You're there. Maybe I'm wrong on this. Because Nadal yesterday was stronger than he was earlier against a better player. What do you think?
5: I keep assuming the same thing I've assumed it the whole time. I've always thought of Nadal. Nadal is like the second tier of contenders here and Djokovic is still alone in the top tier. But I think that um, the way Nadal played yesterday and the way he's describing the way his ball is moving on the grass and the way he's hitting it through the, through the court, and he seems really pleased with this development on grass, which is why, of course, we assume that he probably wouldn't win. But I think that makes it a real – has become a real possibility. And then if, if he gets to a final with Djokovic, I think the pressure Djokovic will have about not knowing he's not going to be at the U.S. Open and this is it, that, that seems like a lot to play, uh, to carry around to me.
2: I would love to see Nadal beat Djokovic badly, but in my mind it feels like a three-set match for Djokovic, the last 1-6-1. One, one. You know what I mean? I'm sure you feel the same way. That's what it feels like, but I'd love to see it different.
5: I, I do, and there was, a, there was a level Djokovic hit in the fourth round where he had lost the second set, and then he, he, it was as if he just said, uh-oh well, that's not right. So there was a level that he attained in that third set and then to some degree the first part of the fourth set that is a level that I think is beyond anyone else's capability on on grass. And if he he hits that level for a majority of the match or even really even part of it, I would agree that it could go really fast. Like the Australian Open that time they played, I think it's 2018, where he wiped him out in three sets.
2: Um, you, you mentioned the Russians, the Belarusians, Belarusians, I guess it's better pronounced, who are not there. Is the invasion of Ukraine, This you're in Europe, so you're closer to it physically even though you're on an island. Is the invasion of Ukraine a, to- Ukraine a topic with players? Is it a topic with officials? Or is it just, no, it doesn't exist. This is sports, it doesn't exist.
5: Well, first, when you're here, it's all over the city in London. It's, it's, you, you just see it everywhere on buildings and windows, the flag, the Ukrainian flag. As you go about your day here, you're reminded of it all day long. So it's, it's part of the day. It's, it's a presence everywhere. Out at the tennis, I felt like it was a big part of the first week. I felt like the, the, what players in the women's singles draw were so like eloquent and wrenching just to listen to them talk about the situations they're in, you know, one player with her family's house destroyed you just listen to these things and from this posh place where you're sitting this comfortable place you you sort of think you you feel the war a little bit i do think that now that the ukrainian players there are none left in the draws that the idea the the subject has has gone away and it's turned to you know the tennis and the quarterfinals
2: Yeah. My own opinion about this, and I know that there were a a lot of the players were asked about it early on, and some players ducked the question, and people got mad they ducked the question. You're allowed to duck the question. You're allowed to say, you know what? This is not what I'm about, and I'm going to keep my feelings to myself, or I'm not going to respond to it. I don't, you know what I mean, Chuck? It doesn't, I think that that there's a fairness to that. If you want to talk about it, fine. If you don't want to talk about it, I don't think you should be hammered for that. What do you think?
5: But it doesn't bother me. It's never bothered me in the least. I mean, if if we're gonna be helped by the you know, the comments of the players, then we have to it, it isn't a matter of fairness to be to allow them the leeway to yeah. comment or not comment as they wish.
2: Yeah. Um I'm gonna be jingoistic to a degree because for so many years other than Serena Williams and then recently I guess Coco Goff and sloan stevens but there are no men i mean the american players have been left in the dust it's you know they don't even exist did, did they do are they doing better are some still there um or yeah. is it you know pathetic again
5: no i think it's i, think, I love this subject because i think a really funny thing has happened i might be wrong but i think it has it's so hopeless you know as far as getting deep into these slam brackets just i think two semis in any slam since Andy Roddick made the 09 final here. So it got so hopeless that I thought it sort of almost ceased to be a topic. Certainly not in the bubbling way that it used to. You know, I I thought yeah. it really that it really died down. And now suddenly you look and there's eight of them in the top 50. So and and Taylor Fritz who's in the um who's number 14, he's, he's in, in the, the quarterfinals quarter here and he he crushed Nadal at Indian Wells this year and won that. So I don't know what we're dealing with now. I think it might have helped that it stopped being this subject that came up every single time they came into a press conference. Because there seems to be this widespread excellence going on now. I don't know how high it'll get, but pretty wide.
2: All right, I'll get you out of here on this because it concerns me. The British Open is coming up. You're going to cover the British Open. You're in Europe. Um, your sense of the Saudi tour and those players, the breakaway players and, and what people are saying about them, particularly, I guess in England.
5: Well, I think it's, there's this deal with the Scottish open that leads up to the, uh, to the British open. And, you know, they weren't going to allow the players. And I saw where Ian Poulter had just gone to court to be able to to play that. And and apparently has won that, that uh, ability. So, um, I expect it to be the topic that over, overrides the entire event and the run-up, and just like the U.S. Open, because it hasn't hasn't been a, a major here yet since this thing got going. So this will be, you know, the the topic that dominates the run-up and then goes away when the golf starts.
2: Okay, your stuff in the post has been great, just great. I'm. S- We use you too much. We do. We we beg for you to be on the show. (laughs) Thanks for always doing it. Thank you, Chuck.
5: Thank you so much, Tony. And sorry for the London noise in the background.
2: Noise is fine. What's worse is when we have no noise because Comcast went out on us. (laughs) We'll take a break. Mark Feinstein will catch us up halfway through the baseball season. When we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser.
4: You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony
0: Kornheiser Show. Iowa's in the Big Ten Northwestern's in the Big Ten Michigan State's in the Big Ten Indiana's in the Big Ten Maryland's in the Big Ten Rutgers is in the Big Ten USC's in the Big Ten UCLA's in the Big Ten London School of Economics in the Big Ten Alaska Anchorage in the Big Ten Oxford and Cambridge in the Big Ten. Hebrew Union College in the Big Ten. Bootsie the Hammer and the Captain are in the Big Ten. Brandon Costello's in the Big Ten. Mars and Jupiter's in the Big Ten. Everybody's in the Big Ten. Hey! it's
2: Brilliant. It's brilliant. Dan Byrne. Brilliant. Always. Plays in Mark Feinsand. Uh We are halfway through the baseball season. And by the way, um, today is Shohei Otani's 28th, birthday 28th birthday what's next with him mark what what happened what if you're trout and you're otani you may be the two best baseball players in the world and you can't win and it's not like the owner didn't spend money it's not like they're not trying they just don't what's next for otani and uh, trout's there long term what's next for otani
1: well, I was going to say, Trout does nothing to do. He's locked in there, and, and he doesn't ever seem like he really wants to get out of there. Signed a very long-term deal. Otani's a different story. He's going to be a free agent, uh, you know, in about a year and a half, and I would imagine that there is going to be a bidding war of the likes we have never seen, uh, assuming he is still healthy. When you look at what he's able to do both offensively and pitching-wise, uh, this guy, you know, we've been talking about Juan Soto getting... Potentially the first five hundred million dollar contract. Uh, let me tell you, Shohei Ohtani might be that guy.
2: I, look, he plays every day. I think <laughs> you have to understand, he plays every day. He pitches, and anyway when he's not, when he when he is pitching, and even when he's not pitching, every single day he plays. Yeah, you know, why wouldn't he get that money? Why you know, exactly wouldn't?
1: It's funny. People are saying, oh, well, he's not having as good a year as last year. He's having a bit of a down year by his standards. He's got 18 home runs, 51 RBIs, uh, about an 850 OPS, uh, you know, at the plate. Oh, and by the way, he's 7-4 with a 268 ERA in 13 starts. So, yeah, he's, um, you know, he's two players in one, and he's two all-star caliber players in one. Uh, it's, It's remarkable having seen what he did last year. Um, but the fact that he can follow it up and essentially replicate, uh, you know, the production that he had last year is really quite something.
2: Because I have to write this for PTI because it's his birthday today. He's four and O in his last four starts. He's given up one earned run in 26 and two thirds in his last four starts. Pitching alone He's fantastic, and and he's he's at the plate getting home runs and driving driving in runs. I, I, you know, I love Soto. Soto is having a bad year. Otani's not having a bad year at all. Otani is w- w- right. We haven't seen this since Babe Ruth, and then they cut it short with Babe Ruth, so we haven't seen
1: I was, it. I was going to say you didn't even really see it with Babe Ruth. That's right. When he was. When he was a really effective pitcher, he had not yet become the great Bambino, right? He had not start, started hitting, uh, you know, 60 home runs in a season. And then when, when he went to the Yankees uh, and they really, you know, took away the pitching and, and said, you just worry about hitting and playing right field and eating hot dogs, he was, uh, you know, yeah. he was not the, he was the offensive force. But we never really saw Ruth put together the kind of pitching and hitting display that Otani's doing. And for him to do it now is just uh, it's, it's staggering.
2: Um, You mentioned, Ruth, so we go to the Yankees. We assume the Yankees are the best team in baseball. Is there anything you want to tell me that says, don't be so sure they're the best team in baseball?
1: I'm not sure there's anything that that tells you that. They're in a tough division, obviously, but they have a 13-game spread over everybody else, so you have to think that that's going to be, uh, you know, pretty easy sailing for them from here on out. You know, you look at the – they're a team that's greater than some of their parts because you look at at up and down their lineup. You know, Josh Donaldson's been so-so since he's gotten there. Uh, You know, Kyler Falefa's not really the offensive guy, but he's playing a great shortstop. Joey Gallo's been atrocious. Uh, Aaron Hicks is having a down year. Um, You know, it's like you look at Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton – and everybody else, and you know, nobody else is really – I guess Anthony Rizzo is also having, having a very good year. But their lineup doesn't impress you, and yet every night they go out and they win. To me, the question with the Yankees is going to be, is their pitching going to hold up? They've got this incredible rotation full of guys who are having career or close to career That's right. years. That's right. Um, they've got a bullpen led by a guy named Clay Holmes that nobody's ever heard of before the season, who's given up two runs all season. Um, You know, it's not Chapman and Zach Britton leading the way. It's Clay Holmes and Michael King. So the question is, will this hold up over six months, and can these guys do it in October? Uh, And that's going to be the million-dollar question for the
5: Yankees.
2: Two runs all season. Tanner Rainey gives up two every night. (laughs) He's one strike away from winning a game, and boom, see you around.
1: See, I love how Tanner Rainey has become the new Wander Swero. Oh,
2: my God. (laughs) You know, just you can throw 99. Just throw it over the plate, son. Just let's see if they can. Oh, my God.
1: He's like a modern-day Kyle Farnsworth.
2: She's awful. All right, if you... um, Wilbon hated Farnsworth so badly (laughs) when he pitched for the Cubs. If you... If you grant that the Yankees are the best team, who are the next best teams? Who are the next three or four best teams, in your opinion?
1: Well, I think the fact that you watched the Astros play the Yankees so tough last week. uh, They went in and and had a great week against the Yankees and Mets, and that was one of those sort of measuring stick weeks for the Astros. They're really good. Um, You know, the Dodgers, obviously, are still really good. They've got some issues that they have to address before the trade deadline um, you know, with pitching, obviously, they have some injuries, and Craig Kimbrell's been a bit of a disaster for them. Um, but I would say those two teams are probably the next two. It's interesting. Fangrass puts out their, their odds for winning the World Series, and the Dodgers are actually the favorite. The Astros are actually number two. The Braves are number three, and the Yankees are number four. So, really? Uh, I don't know how they get these. I, I, you know, I'm mm-hmm. not uh, exactly a statistician, so I don't know how that comes into play. Um, but there are certainly some teams out there that people believe are every bit as good as the Yankees. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to see how it plays out in the second half. I always like to assess these things in about mid-August because right now we don't know what these teams are going to look like after the August 2nd trade deadline. And, you know, there are certain teams that are always more aggressive than others. It wouldn't surprise me if Joey Gallo wasn't playing uh, right field for the Yankees anymore uh, and they went out and found somebody better because, um, you know, I think Brian Cashman understands there's a window to these things. And when you have an opportunity and a team that's having a special season, uh, you owe it to the fans and to yourself and to your team to go out and and make the moves that you think are going to give you the best chance to win.
2: When you look, by the way, at the American League East, I think there's four teams above 500, and that's really that is the probably, I think, certainly actually the best division. And then after that, maybe the National League West. I don't know. Um, We left out the other team in New York. Jacob Degrom struck out five or six people in a rehab start. Max Scherzer is rehabbed in Binghamton with the Rumble Ponies. What is your sense of them coming back to pitch for the Mets?
1: Uh, Well, I believe Scherzer is supposed to start tonight if I'm not mistaken um so he'll be back very soon and DeGrom based on what he looked like the other day looks like he's uh already in his vintage midseason season DeGrom form the only question yeah. I have with DeGrom forget Scherzer Scherzer's going to be fine uh The only question I have with DeGrom is, can he stay healthy? We know that he's done the rehab, he's going to be back, he looks great, um, but the Mets need him to stay healthy, and I wouldn't be surprised if they're careful with him, certainly initially when he comes back. But all of a sudden, that division that was such a rout at one point is only three and a half games. That's right. And, uh, you know, I think the Mets are going to need DeGrom and Scherzer to be themselves uh, if they're going to hold off Atlanta I think they will. I think they will hold off Atlanta, and I think if you go into October with a healthy Scherzer and a healthy DeGrom, you're going to be favored in every single series you play.
2: I agree with that. Uh, There are two names that we have talked about many times over a long period of time in baseball, and they are all-star players, and one of them for sure is in the Hall of Fame, and maybe the other one will get to the Hall of Fame. I don't know. But Paul Goldschmidt and uh, Justin Verlander, they're killing it this year, aren't they? Uh,
1: yeah, Goldschmidt is, is having, you know, for a long time, I thought Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado were kind of the most underrated uh, players in the league. Every year, they went out and put up these all-star numbers. They were all-stars. They were on the MVP ballot every year. Yeah. And nobody knew who they were. And now they're playing together in St. Louis. Uh, and it's uh, Goldschmidt's having sort of a, a coming-out party this year, which is interesting for a guy um, you know, with 300 career home runs and 1,000 RBIs to all of a sudden be taken notice. But when you lead your league in every one of the slash categories, batting average, on-base, slugging, uh, and you're having the kind of year he's having, uh, people are taking notice. And it's uh, it's about time because he is one of the, the best players in the game uh, and has been for quite some time. You mentioned Verlander. Yeah, yeah obviously uh, he's going to the Hall of Fame. I don't think there's any question about that. He almost has this, uh, this, this Tom Brady feel to him of like, uh, yeah, I know I'm 39, but I'm not close to done. And coming off of Tommy John and having not really pitched since 2019, uh, and for him to come out, and what does he have, 10 wins and an ERA around two, um, it's pretty impressive. And, and I don't think anybody, you never question the desire and the heart of Verlander or the talent. You just question the health. And if the help is not an issue, and certainly this year it doesn't seem to be, uh, there's no reason to think that, that even at 39, uh, you know, that he's anywhere close to done.
2: I think he wants to get to 300. I think he wants to be the last guy to get to 300. I would bet against him getting to 300. But when you mention Brady, what, what everybody knows about Brady is the just the regimen, the Spartan-like regimen of everything that he does. Is Verlander that kind of guy as well?
1: Uh, I don't think anybody is quite like Brady in that sense, um, but Verlander's been doing this a long time. He's been in the league for 17 years. He knows what it takes to keep himself at that level in which he needs to be. What's what's sort of a shame for him is the fact that he didn't pitch in 2020 and 2021. He had one one start in those two years. Um, that realistically is going to cost him that shot of 300. He's at mm-hmm. 236 right now. And even if you give him 14 wins in each of those seasons, which would be below his career average, uh, you know, all of a sudden you're looking at you know, 28 more wins and you're looking at him being up near 255 right now um, or 265 right now. Uh, he's, I, he's the kind of guy who I think would hang around this might be a little much to ask him to get 64 more wins. I remember at the end of Mike seen his career, and he was 40 years old. Uh, he won 20 in that final season in 2008 to put him at 270. And everybody said, well, he just won 20. He's got to hang around and get to 300. And he said, look, it's really hard to win games, especially now. With the bullpens the way they are and the game the way it is, and this is 15 years ago, he said, you know, you're telling me I have to commit at least three more years. That's 43 and it's still not a sure thing. So it will be interesting to see, uh, you know, where Verlander ends up. Let's say he ends up at 245 this year. Uh, 55 more wins at the age of 40 on on. That's going to be uh, hard. a very interesting decision for him to make.
2: It's really hard. I guess Nolan Ryan may have done that. Uh, he pitched till he was about 45 years old, Nolan Ryan. Or spawn maybe? Uh, spawn, yeah. He pitched forever and ever. It's hard to do. Uh, we we'll get you out of here on this. Who's the next manager Is going to get fired, or are we done for the year with firing managers because people have teams have settled into where they should be?
1: Uh, if there was going to be anybody, I would say maybe Mike Matheny uh, in Kansas right. City, um, just because there were some rumblings about it already. And um, I think that would be the only one that I could really see uh, where, if there's not a change in season, there's probably going to be a change off season. Um, but I think, uh, you know, at this point, you, you've, you've settled into sort of who you are and where you are, um, and some of those teams that had expectations coming into the year, uh, you know, they, they might give their manager a chance to, uh, to, to make one run here. I mean, you're seeing Seattle, uh, you know, which was a very disappointing team. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, they've won, I think, their last four series. They're only two games under 500, four games out of a playoff spot. Uh-huh. So, you know, some of those teams, they'll get a shot to, uh, to rejuvenate themselves, and then, then we'll see the axes fall at the end of the season.
2: Are you going to Orson, Pennsylvania anytime soon? Are you going to be up there?
1: I actually am going to be up there uh, for a visiting day in a few weeks, and uh-huh. I'm always, always looking forward to that.
2: Wonderful. 371 to 170. <laughs> take the Hancock exit off, off 81, right? You take that exit and you go through the...
1: I actually go from New Jersey, so I go through Scranton, so I uh, oh, you know
2: okay. come through Route
1: Six and Carbondale, and then uh, go Carbondale. around the back to three seventy. Yeah, it's very exciting.
2: Carbondale, for people that don't know, I'll just take a little bit of time here. Carbondale, when we were at Camp Kiuma many many years ago, Carbondale had a sporting goods store called Inns E I or E Y N O N apostrophe S, and we used to go there and get baseball bats and baseball gloves and golf clubs and things like that. I don't suppose. That still exists when you go through Carbondale. You don't see Inan's, do you?
1: I do not, but I will tell you that the Lake Lorraine Golf Course is still up and running and uh, looks better than ever.
2: Good. Do they still have the hideous pickled eggs on the counter? The (laughs) red pickled eggs, where if you eat one of those, you never know what's going to happen. You never know. You don't know how long they've been
1: pickled. I don't think those are still there. If they are, they're probably the same ones that you saw back in the
2: the day. That was the first place I ever ate a Slim Jim you know, was, the, uh, was Lake Lorraine. I That's never had no idea. I had no idea what a Slim j <laughs> Is it still nine holes, right? They still have it nine? Is, they don't, it they is still nine. 18. I
1: believe they have a little sports bar. There are a little little grill there now. So after uh, you play your nine, you can. Uh, they have a tenth hole, so to speak.
2: I can't go to a sports bar. <laughs> it doesn't work for me. No, too many questions. All right, enjoy yourself. Thanks, Mark.
5: Thanks, Tony.
2: Mark Feinstein, boys and girls. We'll take a break. We'll come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser.
4: This, this is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Got your email, faxes, and notes. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Gonna read some for all your folks. Hey, Tony! Come on, come on! Hey, Tony! Read that mail now, baby.
2: I love Hot Pink Hangover. I'm sorry they broke up. I know. it's a sad this is day. This my favorite. They're yeah. my favorite punk band, I and I've never seen them play. Love yes. them. Yes. All right. uh, you want to do the Bethesda Bagels app?
3: Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You would as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com, forward a location in the D.C. area nearest you, then pop on in, and you'll be thrilled. That will just about do
2: it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me say, tumble out of bed, stumble to the kitchen, pour myself a cup of ambition, yawn and stretch, and try to come to life. Jump in the shower, the blood starts pumping out on the street, the traffic starts jumping. Folks like On the Job from 9 to 5. That's a wonderful Dolly Parton song and from a wonderful movie. Really fun movie. You know, movie. it's yeah. a lovely movie. Dabney it's, Coleman yeah, plays one of the great bad just, of all just time. Just wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. Thanks to our guests today, Chuck Culpepper and Mark Feinstein. And you know what else is a wonderful movie? Mystic Pizza. Oh, sure. I saw it the other night. It's 30 yeah. years old. so one- Julia Roberts' yeah, first she was movie. a kid. Fantastic. Thanks to today's sponsor, Simply Safe and Indochino. Remember you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you have to show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Joe from Olney, let me give you a pile of Chinese mystery meat daily. And if you continually vomit, I'll consider myself doing you a favor by cleaning out your cyst. You know, this is the notion that vomiting is good for you. It's good yeah. for a dog. Dog seems to, you know, be okay. Dog is better. Yeah. Getting better. From Frank Barrich or Barrick in Portland, Oregon. I've always heard about the dangers of dogs eating chocolate as most dog owners have. I appreciate Dr. Bruff's explanation of the potential danger of feeding your dog chocolate. I say potential because of personal experience. Our first family dog, a cross between a yellow lab and something because no purebred labs are that lean and tall, availed himself of a full bag of Hershey's kiss- Kisses left out in a bowl overnight. Our fears of negligently killing our dog were unfounded as he went about life without any signs of chocolate toxicity, unless you count pooping foil for about three days. (laughs) P.S. I invite you and Michael to join me anytime for a round at Pumpkin Ridge. Can't guarantee Phil will be there, but I see deer almost every (laughs) single round. From Ted Keniston, Cincinnati, Ohio. With UCLA and USC joining the Big Ten, an obvious question arises. On road trips to Tinseltown, will big, nasty redheads be provided for all the visiting teams and fans, <laughs> or we'll be expected to seek out our own? It's so crazy, <laughs> UCLA and USC. It's crazy. Dan Burnsong stuck in my head. <laughs> Mark Copeland. I thought we'd all concluded there was only one way to get rid of those pesky deer by getting a bigger monkey. He signs it confused in Hershey, Pennsylvania. <laughs> from james perry in fort washington maryland i received a bill and this is from may okay i just happened to look at this i received a bill from my doctor for 90 dollars for an appointment back in april 2021. normally i would have paid the bill without a second thought but I heard Mr. Tony's voice telling me not to pay the bill without calling the doctor's office first to determine what I'm being billed for. After being on hold for a total of 40 minutes, I found out the doctor's office made a mistake by using the wrong procedure code when they submitted my bill to my health insurance company. Never pay an unexpected bill without making a phone call first. Information for life. Thank you. That it is. It's important. From Jay Johnson. And it's about Jay Johnson. I'm sorry. This is from Daniel Corey. I'm a little late to the game on this, but I'm hoping that the combination of people from my hometown and past unpunished minor crimes will get this email through. As soon as Jay Johnson and I turned 18, we went to the local CVS in our hometown of Yardley, Pennsylvania and bought disgusting, cheap-flavored cigars. We then picked up another friend and broke into our high school football stadium to smoke them on the 50-yard line. Shout-out to Pensbury High School, whose graduates include Richard Kind, Zach Woods, Troy Vincent, Robert Costa, and Hallie Jackson. Every time we saw headlights coming down the access road by the stadium, we panicked and held our breath. But I suppose the risk of being charged with trespassing and the freedom to use tobacco products are two sides of the same coin. We did this a few times the summer before going away to college and somehow never get caught. Thank you for playing Jay's music on the podcast. It's a great thrill for me every time and makes me think of fond memories of cheap Cigars. P.S. Even though it's been over 10 years, I'm still nervous to share this story in case Jay's dad, who <laughs> coached both of us in Little League, will hear it and be disappointed in it. <laughs> No problem, Daniel. Um, From Tony Beeson, in time for Jingle Fest. So this is a while back. No Baskin-Robbins coffee ice cream, no problem. Make your own. And apparently the collaborators on this deserve credit. Um, Eric Laundrigan, who's the logo designer, and Claire Natola, who's the editor. And we turn page after page, and there is an ice cream that says, Mr. Kornheiser's homemade coffee ice cream with sea salt. (laughs) specifically crafted for consumption over a sink. (laughs) Beautiful pictures of that. And the ingredients are sea salt, cream, sugar, coffee, more sea salt, pure (laughs) vanilla, angst, humor, sheputzpah, (laughs) produced by this ice cream Stinks in Revere, (laughs) Massachusetts. And it goes on and on, and it's very funny. That is great. It's very funny. I wish I had it. I don't have it.
3: (laughs) We don't have the sheputzpah. We don't
2: have it. All right, one more. Rob Brashears in Huntingtown, Maryland. Long-time reader since the bandwagon days. Dear Dr. Grandpa, also listener, second-time emailer. I was in Holmdel, New Jersey over the weekend at a graduation party for my nephew. My sister-in-law's father, Alan Siegel, was talking about talented, independent musicians. Alan is not, by any stretch of the imagination, a sports guy. I, of course, said, I know what you mean. There's a lot of talent out there. Do you know Tony Kornheiser? I listen to his podcast. Now, Alan says, I went to school with Tony. What? Yeah, Alan Siegel, born in Hewlett Harbor, New York, George W. Hewlett High School. He says he didn't know you personally and did not know Jimmy Steinman, but knows who you are. The connective tissues continue to amaze and say hi to Edith (laughs) Salissa. I don't know the name. I I don't know the name. I tried to find my yearbook to look it up. All right. But I gave up after not even trying to find my yearbook (laughs) when I realized I had no idea where it was. And it would take me weeks to come up with an, you know, to come up with the yearbook, right? Which was called Patches. Our yearbook was called. What was your yearbook called? Ours was Patches. Uh, it was the Red and White, I believe. That's not interesting. What was the Moray one called? The yearbook, just the yearbook. I had no clue. Oh no, Ours oh. was
4: the Lance. That's right. It was the, the Lance. Lance.
2: Yeah, uh, was Saint George's, you know, killing the dragon. The right. Lance. Yeah, I think that was. No, it. ours was Patches. Yeah. So I didn't. I don't know. So maybe the, the people that listen, and Peter Lazarus, listens. Eddie Plutzer listens. Steven Pearsall listens. Do you guys know Alan Siegel? I mean, I'm drawing a blank on Alan Siegel. You know, well, he maybe. said
3: he didn't know you. I mean, Yeah, the, but I personal. mean, we
2: only had 420 people in our graduating class. Okay. So somebody's going to know him, right? Somebody's going to know him. Sure. You know, Nancy Serafini, who doesn't listen because she's an S, you know, she would know him because they were probably in homeroom together. Right. When Nancy doesn't listen, so it doesn't do me any good. Well, somebody tell Nancy. Chan know. listens, but Chan's away. And Chan can't call Nancy and say, did you know Alan Siegel? So help me out, somebody. <laughs> my guess is DG knew him, and he didn't even go to my high school. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone is always do wear white.
5: You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious. That He's
2: serious, John. He's serious. <laughs>
4: Thank you. Session is easy. It's a warm place to stay. It's easy.
0: Western's in the Big Ten. Michigan State's in the Big Ten. Indiana's in the Big Ten. Maryland's in the Big Ten. Rutgers is in the Big Ten. USC's in the Big Ten. UCLA's in the Big Ten. London School of Economics in the Big Ten. Alaska Anchorage in the Big Ten. Oxford and Cambridge in the Big Ten. Hebrew Union College in the Big Ten. Bootsy the Hammer and the Captain are in the Big Ten. Brandon Costello's in the Big Ten. Mars and Jupiter's in the Big Ten. Everybody's in the Big Ten. Hey!